Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you here. If you're visiting us for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Nathan, and I hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. We're publicizing Park Blast, and so that means it's summertime, and summertime means we kind of shift into our uh, annual ritual of during the summertime, we study an entire book of the Bible during the summertime. And so that's our plan for this year as well. We're launching the book of Galatians. And so would you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians in your New Testament? I also brought with me my coffee. I don't think the donuts and coffee people out there on Sunday mornings get enough credit for everything that they do for us on a Sunday morning. And I don't know if you know this or not, I'm a kind of a coffee guy. I like coffee. There are some serious coffee nerds in our church, though, like mega coffee nerds, and they have ruined me when it comes to coffee. They have me grinding my own beans, and now when I brew my coffee, it looks like a chemistry experiment with, it's in these test tubes and all these crazy things. I froth my own, own milk. I mean, that's weird. I, I, I'm a total nerd when it comes to this. But anyway, when it comes to our church coffee, a couple years ago, our staff did a a blind taste test of seven different coffees. We're trying to figure out, should we implement new coffee around here at Grace? And so seven years ago, we took the coffee that we were using at the time, and nobody particularly liked all that much, and we took six other coffees that were a potential for us here at Grace. And the criteria was, you have to buy them in bulk. You need to be able to buy them in mass quantity, not like, you know, 16 ounces at a time and grind a single bag for every cup, and that's crazy. So it had to be bulk, and so we had all seven coffees all lined up, all the staff got together, and we all got caffeined up, and we did the blind taste test. And it turned out that the coffee that we were serving back a couple years ago was number seven. The worst coffee that existed on planet Earth was the one that we're serving, of course. And so out of all of that, you got this. So this is Dunkin' Donuts coffee. We should put like that on our website or something like that so people know. You get, you get donuts when you come here, and you get Dunkin' Donuts coffee. So, of course, we've all missed all of this during the pandemic, and everybody had to stay at home, and you missed your donuts and coffee because you didn't go buy donuts in the morning, and so you just kind of sat there without it, probably, or you had something different instead, I guess. And so it's the same here. Our staff, w- during the whole stay-at-home orders thing, we were at home, too. And eventually, though, we started to trickle back into the office, and so one day I, I made some of our, you know, exclusive single origin Ethiopian Dunkin' Donuts (laughs) reserve coffee here. And it was good coffee. And so I went into the kitchen next door in the Family Life Center, and I pulled out uh, a few of the half and half, you know, creamer things. And I just really didn't think about how long they'd been sitting, you know? I just ripped the top off of those suckers and, and dumped them in my coffee. I just didn't really think about what it would be like. Well, I brought some, I brought some half and half here that has been uh, ruminating for a little while. It's been uh, sitting around for a little while. Just to replay what happened. I was kind of oblivious to it happening, but now I can make it happen in, in real life. And so, I'm sorry if you're in the front row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like that. It, it was, I just didn't really pay attention to it, though. And so, you know, when you're, when you're drinking coffee, you kind of expect it to taste good, you know? And so I took a swig of that coffee. (laughs) And you know, it's not supposed to be chunky, you know? (laughs) Your good coffee isn't supposed to be chunky like that. 
And so the title for today's sermon is Bad Coffee, and I hope that sticks with you today and the bad coffee. We're going to read a little bit from the book of Galatians with that bad coffee in mind. Hopefully things will come out a little bit better from our understanding of the book of Galatians. So let's read uh, a portion of Galatians. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Let's stop right here for a minute because I don't think I'll have time to get back to it. Did you know that God wants to rescue humans? That, that is what God wants to do. He wants to rescue humanity. He wants to rescue people. And the way that he did that rescue was through his son, Jesus Christ. And see, this is a good thing because every single human needs rescued from their own sin, from what's going on in this present age. Every single human from Adam all the way to 2021, every single human has sinned. We've done something we shouldn't have done. We said something we shouldn't have said. We thought something that we shouldn't have thought. Everyone has. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Every single person, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I think you would even agree that you aren't, haven't quite, you aren't quite to God's glory. You, you are, you, you, you're probably more glorious than the person you're sitting next to. Totally get it. But you're, you haven't, you're not up to God's glory. You are somewhere underneath that, and you know that because of your own sin. You know that you rank somewhere under God. But see, the problem is, is that if you can't go to heaven because you're not holy, then what's the only other option? It's eternity in hell. Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single human is like that. But contrary to popular belief, God doesn't want people to go to hell. I know that's what kind of people want people to think about. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God wants people to go to heaven. God wishes that none would perish and all would come to repentance, that none would perish in hell and all would go to, to heaven when they die. And that is why God sent the rescue. And that's what verse four talks about. The rescue is Jesus Christ. And God sent Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus Christ submitted himself to that, but it was more than that. Jesus didn't say, well, I mean, God told me to, and so I have to do what he says. I guess I'll have to. He didn't do that. It says here that God that Jesus gave himself. He gave himself not for his own sins. He was on the cross not because of his sin. He had none. He was perfect. He was God. God gave himself for our sins. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And his perfect blood is being shed. The perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice is being shed for, for us for our sins, and Jesus' death on the cross is the rescue, and that is a good thing because we all need to be rescued when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now they have eternity in heaven instead of hell because Jesus wraps us with his uh, supernatural robes of righteousness. We haven't become perfect, but Christ is perfect, and so what happens on the cross then is applied to me, and this is the rescue that God sends Jesus Christ. And so it's kind of like the, we're all dog paddling in the uh, Pacific Ocean of sin. And, and God sends the, the Coast Guard boat out, and they throw the, you know, the round orange buoy. They throw the round orange rescue ring out in the ocean, 
And so anybody can grab onto that ring. Anybody can put their faith, their trust, their belief in this Jesus. Grab onto the ring. I didn't call the boat. My cell phone is underwater. I didn't throw the ring to myself because I didn't have it. It all happened by grace from somebody outside of myself, and they came and they rescued me. What a beautiful picture. But not everybody's going to be rescued. That's the bad news. Not everybody's going to be rescued. Some people don't want to be rescued. Some people are paddling out there in the Pacific Ocean. The rescue ring comes out. "Ah, It's nice out here. It's a hot day and the water's cool. Paddling around. It's nice out here. The life I'm living is great. Riverside, things are going good. Summertime's here. No more school. I'm paddling around. Things are great. And sometimes when I want to be saved, I'll just paddle myself to Hawaii. But you cannot dog paddle yourself to Hawaii. It is too far. And those people will drown in the ocean of their own sin. But God wants everyone to be saved. That's why he sent the rescue, and that is in Jesus Christ. I'd love to preach an entire sermon on that, but we need to keep going. Verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, as we have said before. And so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, so let's stop Let's stop right there. Paul is saying, don't drink the coffee. The coffee was good, but now it's bad. And you're looking at that like, I don't see any coffee in those 10 verses at all. Well, let's go back to the beginning and maybe I can walk you, walk you into, the, into the coffee. You go back to verse one and whenever you start to read a, a book, start to learn from a, a letter in the Bible, it's always important to know who wrote the letter. And of course, he tells us right off, it is Paul. This is the apostle Paul. It's Paul. This man was saved as an adult. And hey, there's some hope right there for those of you who are praying for people who are yet to be saved. Paul got saved as an adult. You keep praying for the people that you know. Now, Paul became one of the most influential Christians in all of Christian history. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament, even though he got saved as an adult. So there's always room. And God is always rescuing people. And Paul was rescued. And he calls himself an apostle. The word here means a representative of, a, 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 an agent of, that, that he is representing somebody else. He has the power of attorney from somebody else. He's an apostle. And it's not some person. It says in verse 1, I'm not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. What I'm about to tell you is not my idea, Paul. This does not come from me. <laughs> this doesn't come from, from some guy in, an, in another city down the way. This isn't an infomercial that I've paid royalties to come teach this to you, some new method. It's none of those things. This comes directly from Jesus Christ and God the Father. So sit up, pay attention. This is important. Now, usually he writes to one church or one person. But you'll notice in verse two that he's writing to something different. He's writing to the churches of Galatia. You know, most of Paul's letters are written to an individual church or an individual person. You can probably think of who some of those people are. 
a, he wrote to Timothy, right? That's the letter to Timothy, a couple letters to Timothy. He wrote to the Corinthian church, boom, one church. But this is different. He is writing to churches in a region called Galatia. So this is to multiple churches in a region, and all of these churches apparently all have the exact same issue, and so this letter is applicable to all of them as they're receiving this letter. And so it's important to know that this is also written to Christians. It's written to people who have been born again, people who were dead spiritually and now are alive spiritually, people who, who were forgiven of their sins, people who, who grabbed onto that rescue ring, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. However, they've been sidetracked. They're headed down a destructive path. They've been derailed in their faith. And Paul is on fire because of it. He doesn't have any, he has no patience for what's going on in these churches. Zero. Usually in his letters, he says some nice things. Hey, things are going good with me. How are things going with you? Oh, you're doing, he has a couple little back slaps in there, a little couple high fives before he gets to his point. There's no back slaps. There's no high fives. He is on fire. He is distracted. He's almost, he doesn't have time. He can't think about those other things because he has this primary issue that's going on. And so what has got him like on the edge? What, what is he out of his mind about? Well, that's verse six. In verse six, it tells us what is going on in this place and what has sidetracked them and why Paul is in such a dark place. Verse six I am amazed. That word amazed is not a good word. <laughs> That's not a good amazed. This is a bad amazed. I am stunned. I am angry. I am astonished. I am blown away that this would be happening to you. I'm amazed. that I, I would never have even thought that this was happening to you. Well, what's happening to them? In verse 7, or verse 6, it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. Notice that word deserting. It's present tense. Go back to your English classes in the good old days. It's present tense. Deserting. They are in the process right now of desertion. It is happening right in front of Paul's eyes. He can see it happening. It's not like they deserted a while ago and now are dealing with the ramifications. These Christians are right in the middle of the desertion. And so there's hope, and so that's why he's writing this, that, that maybe he can pull them back from the desertion. Who are they deserting? Verse 6 tells us that they are deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Who is it that calls Christians, calls them to himself by the grace of Christ? That is God the Father. That's who that is. Paul's assertion is that these Christians are deserting God the Father. They are deserting him. And obviously the grace that came through Jesus Christ, the word grace just means getting something that you don't deserve, a gift that you didn't earn, a gift that you didn't deserve. That's what that life ring is. You're deserting. You're deserting the God who sent you the life ring. And what are they deserting God for? for a different gospel. So they had the right gospel. They, they had the right one. That was a good one. 
and now they have deserted the good one, and now they are over there in something that is not good. That is the problem. You can see why Paul is so amped up about what's going on here. And Paul then says in verse 7, he says, it's, it's not really another gospel. I know I said it was another gospel, but it's not really another gospel because, you, do you know what the word gospel means? Gospel means good news. And so the, the gospel of Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing that I could do. God sends a life ring in his son, Jesus, and a personal faith and trust in this Jesus. All of a sudden now I have eternity in heaven. That's good news. But this isn't another gospel because this other gospel isn't good news. This other gospel is bad news because Jesus' work on the cross is not sufficient, and grace of God is no longer needed in this new paradigm. It's this new paradigm, this new uh, ideas, this, this new mixture of uh, systems and processes. It's this brand new thing. It was good, but now you're in this bad one. And now, how did this happen? How did these Christians move from the good gospel to something that's not even the gospel anymore. How, did that, how could that even happen? Well, it says it in verse 7. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Someone has put some bad half and half in your single origin Ethiopian coffee. Someone is putting something bad in there. It was good coffee, but now someone has spiked the punch. Someone has mixed something in there. You've been oblivious to it. You didn't even notice it. But it is bad, and it is going to make you sick, and it is going to kill you. You need to stop. Now, who is it that's been spiking the coffee? Who is it that's been spiking the gospel, spiking the good news with something else? Who, who is, who's been doing this? Well, you kind of have to know what's going on in the first century. You have to know what, who's around and what's happening. The, the people who are spiking the punch, the people who are, are taking the, the good gospel and mixing something else in there to make it bad now are these people called the Judaizers. Have you heard of the Judaizers? If you've been around church for a while, you might have heard of the Judaizers. So the Judaizers are a group of, they're Jews who are Christians now. Okay? They're Christians, but they're also Jews. Kind of a segment or a sect. And their, their theology is, okay, if a Gentile, you know, not a Jew, if a Gentile gets saved, a Gentile puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they also need to do Jewish things in order to be really saved. You need to do some stuff to really be saved. And so, what would happen is that the church, the Jerusalem church, would send these, these guys out from the church, okay, follow Paul around, and I want you to take this message to all the Christians once Paul leaves. And here was their message. You need to become like a Jew. You need to get circumcised. Well, that's not going to go over too well. <laughs> what kind of good news is that? Not a lot of good news there. They say, well, you, you need to change your dietary habits. No more bacon. I mean, who wants that? I, everybody wants some bacon with their, with their eggs in the morning. No, can't do that anymore if you want to be a real Christian. 
So they had a whole, a whole bunch of things. You have to wash your hands in a certain ritualistic way before you eat and before religious services. Now, hey, I'm a little OCD. I don't mind washing my hands. Actually, I wash my hands a whole lot. You know, so I'm a little germaphobe. Whatever, I'm okay with that one. I can handle that one. You gotta be circumcised. No more bacon. You gotta wash your hands certain ways. That's not it. 613 rules. 613 rules goes back all the way back to the Old Testament. The Mosaic law, the law that God gave to, to Moses. And that law has over time, by, we get to the, by the time we get to the first century, has been adulterated. And it's been turned into the way that you become righteous. It's by doing the 613. And so the church, kind of like the mother church, would send these Judaizers out to follow Paul. You know, Paul's on these mission trips going around the world sharing the, the good news, the, the good coffee, sharing the good news with people as, as he goes. And he finds deacons for a church, elders for a church, pastors for a church, and then he moves on to another place. So the, the mothership sends out these Judaizers to fill the, fill the leadership vacancy. To, to fill the, the leadership gap in these churches when Paul leaves. And they come in and they say, yeah, 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 Paul, everything Paul told you is true. Everything Paul told you was true. He just didn't tell you everything. There's a, there are a few more things that you need to know in order to be a real Christian. And so they would start to bring in things from the law. They would, they, would start to, they would start to make the, the worship services more Jewish and all of these rituals so that all these Gentiles could be really saved by doing all the Jewish things. And so they would essentially take the good news of the gospel that Paul preached, the good single-origin Ethiopian Dunkin' Donuts reserve coffee, and they would pour some nasty, curdled, chunky, half and half in it. They'd mix the two together, and you get bad coffee. Now, sometimes it's hard to imagine exactly what's happening, and so uh, let me put it graphically here for you so you can kind of see what's happening in these churches. Really, in this era, there were really two ways to, um, to become righteous, to... to to, to make it to heaven in that sense, to be saved in our terminology, I guess. Two ways. One was the gospel. That was the gospel that Jesus preached and then the apostles were preaching all around the world at the time. Then there's the law, the, uh, going back to the Mosaic law. And this is the one that the Pharisees taught. And the Pharisees were all about the law. And so these are kind of the two competing um, religious movements of the day. And so the gospel has some aspects, and the law has some aspects. I just want you to see the aspects of these two different things, and you'll understand the dichotomy between these. So the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus. Of course it is. He's the rescue ring. He's, he's who God sent. God sent Jesus, the grace of Jesus Christ. He is the one that did it all. Well, of course, the law isn't that way. The law is all about Moses. Everybody in this culture, they knew everything about Moses. If you were a Jew, you, you, you had all the Moses baseball cards. You, you knew all the stats of Moses. Moses was your hero. The law is all about Moses. Of course, the gospel, the gospel is all about Jesus' work on the cross. It is his work. And there's nothing that I could do. He did it all on the cross. You hear that from me every single week. But the law wasn't like that. 
The law was all about my work, the, the things that I had to do. And if you were to, to really define the difference between the good, clean gospel of Jesus and the, the law, it would be this. It would be focus on Jesus, the gospel, or focus on me, the law, the difference between the two. And so, of course, under the gospel, Jesus' work is complete. That salvation is complete at the death of Jesus Christ, his blood being poured out for the sins of the world. He cries out, it is finished. Yeah, it's finished. It's complete. And that's the good, clean gospel that, that Paul had been preaching and Paul had preached to these churches as well. But, of course, the, the law isn't quite like that. The law doesn't operate the same way. The law is all about I earn it. I have to keep doing, I have to keep doing, I have to keep working. I got it. So one more thing to do. I have 613. Now, the law was given to Moses from God. There's nothing immoral about the law. God gave it to Moses. He didn't come down with just 10, by the way. He came down with another 603 on top of the 10. 613. But the purpose of the law wasn't to tell people how they could earn righteousness. The purpose of the law was to show you that there's impo- it's impossible to earn it. The purpose of the law was to show you that you need someone from outside of yourself because yourself isn't enough. But over the years, over the thousand years, by the time we get to the first century, that whole purpose is all gone. That's been erased away, and people are trying to live up to the law I gotta earn it. Of course, we know what the gospel is only by faith. By faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing that we can do. It is is purely grace. It is a gift that is given to me. I didn't earn it. I didn't ask for it. The Bible says that we didn't even seek after Christ. It was God that, that led us in the right direction to Christ. He is the one that found us. We didn't find him. It's all by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the law doesn't work like that. The, the law is, I've got to do it by works. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep working. That's why you'll hear people say, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. It's because they're trying to do enough good things in order to get themselves to heaven. And they're just curious if they've done enough yet. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep working. Well, with the gospel, you become filled with the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in the completed work of Jesus on the cross, now a Christian is now filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so the way that the Christian makes decisions is by God's Spirit that is living inside of them. They read the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps, helps you understand the Bible a little bit more. And you begin to do some things that you'd never done before because you didn't really know that you were supposed to do them. You had never wanted to do them before, but the Holy Spirit begins to move you in that direction. Or you stop doing things that you used to always do. You stop cussing, or you stop drinking that, or you stop smoking that, or you stop going those places, or you stop doing those things because the Holy Spirit begins to work in you and move you in different ways. And a, a person becomes filled with the Spirit and, and other people can begin to see it in your life. It's called fruit, the results of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. And that is how then Christians make decisions. The Holy Spirit guiding and leading in their life. But that's not the way that it works for the law. The law is different. The law, it's all about following the rules. 613. Well, of course, by the time we get to the first century, there's a whole lot more added to it. You know, I mean, if 613 is good, you might as well have 614, right? And 50 and 616, it just keeps growing from there. And so this is the issue. And of course, the Pharisees, they were, they were teaching the law. They're the ones that would go out in the street and they'd pray so that everybody could see them. Because remember, it's all about me. Hey, they, would, they would give large, large amounts of cash just, just so that everybody can see that. 
just so that everybody could notice how righteous they were. Because remember, the law is all about me, and the gospel is all about Jesus and his work. And so these are the two kind of competing ideas that were going on in the culture. But this is not what was happening in the churches in Galatia. This isn't it. Let me show you what was happening in the churches in Galatia. What was happening is the, 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 this little group would come in, and they had this message, okay, we're going to take some of both. We're going to bring in the gospel. Yeah, everything that Paul told you was right. But also, we're going to pull in some of the law. There's just some things that he didn't tell you that you need to do in order to be really saved. And so, what was being taught in these churches wasn't Jesus, and it wasn't Moses, but it was Jesus and Moses. It's both. Yeah, yeah, it's both. Well, Paul told you it's good. But let me also tell you something else that he didn't tell you. And so instead of preaching Jesus' work on the cross, and instead of being like uh, the Pharisees and the synagogues at the time, instead of it being all of me and my work, it, it turned in, into the Galatian churches as our work. I need Jesus, and of course Jesus needs me too to help him along. Both of us together, we're in this together. And instead of Jesus' work being the completed work, it's all done, it, it, it morphs a little bit and you bring in a little bit of the law and all of a sudden it's, yeah, Jesus is the one that saves, but I'm the one that sanctifies myself. Jesus saves me, but I need to continue to work. I need to make myself better and better and better and better. Yeah, yeah gee, everything Paul told you was true, Jesus. Yeah, yes, Jesus. But also a little, here's some more things that you need to do. Instead of by faith, they weren't teaching works in the church, but what they were teaching is faith and works, right? I mean, hey, we've got to have some faith, but also you need to do some good things too. Faith and works. And when it came to the Holy Spirit, they didn't deny the Holy Spirit in that way. But what they said was that the Holy Spirit was there for a reason. The Holy Spirit was there to help you follow the rules, Yes, Jesus, everything that Paul told you about Jesus is right. But there's just a few things that you don't know. And Paul would say that everything under the, the heading of the gospel is good coffee. It's good. It's the, it's the good stuff. Weeded out all the bad stuff, it's good. Jesus, he's the one that completed all the works by faith. The Holy Spirit comes only through him. It's a gift of grace. And, and Paul would say that everything that is the law would be the bad half and half. That's bad stuff. And so what happens when you mix the two together, you just get bad coffee. That's what you get. Trust me, I know. You can come have a drink after this if you want. It's just bad coffee. You see, Paul would say that anything that is not under the heading of the gospel is heresy. Anything. Satan knows that he can't get, he's not going to get you to follow the law. I mean, come on, who, who wants that? I mean, who likes cottage cheese in your coffee? No one. But as long as he can create this hybrid, and so what was happening in these Galatian churches was this hybrid. The, the mixture, yes, Jesus, but also you need to follow the law, and after that, now you are definitely a Christian if you do everything just the right way. 
And so the Christians in this church are deserting the gospel for something else, something that is bad, something that is hurting them, and something that is irrecoverable if they don't fix it right now. And Paul's, he goes right to the issue. And so you can imagine yourself as a church receiving this letter from Paul for the very first time, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's only in the first 10 verses. And Paul says, if anybody comes to me, anybody comes to you with a gospel that's different than this, you curse it. You cuss him out out of your church. He's accursed. Even if it's me, even if I, Paul, come to you with a different message than what I taught you before, you cuss me out of your church. Even if, you th- even if it's an angel, you kick him out of your church because it is a different gospel. And so the church's like, oh my goodness. Now, when a letter was received in a church, uh, the pastor didn't just read 10 verses and then everybody go home and say, well, that was good. Maybe I'll come back and hear more next time. The pastor would read the entire book and then through the rest of the summer, they would unpack and learn all of the things that Paul had said in that letter. And so we're gonna do the same thing. We are gonna read together today the entire book of Galatians. Yes, I know. It's six chapters. And maybe you haven't ever read six chapters before all at one time, and now you can say that you've done it. It's going to take us 20 minutes. And so I hope you brought your Bible. If not, just sit back and relax and listen. But let's read this the way that the first churches would have read the book of Galatians. And maybe you can see, I want you to see if you can notice this issue in the church, the bad coffee in the church, the the, the mixture of the circumcision with the uncircumcision, the, the mixture of, of grace and the law, the gospel and the law. Here we go, Galatians chapter one, we ended at verse 10. Let's continue with verse 11. For I, want, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for neither I received it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. I know I used to persecute the church, of how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for any for my ancestral traditions but when god who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that i might preach him among the gentiles i did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but i went away to arabia and returned once more to damascus then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. To destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. I'm in chapter two now. 
Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, these are the Judaizers, who secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me, God knows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And, I missed the page. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw himself and withhold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like Jews, how is it that you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if... While seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinful. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for it comes, it, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, 
Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet with it, yet with it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God, so that as to nullify the promise. For, if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgression. Having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith come, came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now I'm in chapter four. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, 
while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, and God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were, by nature, no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing that you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. But the, son, but the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are in labor. For more numerous are the, children's of the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But as at that time, we who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son and the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. Now we're in chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is now under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you that the Lord, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things as you pleased. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and all things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who are practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Now we're in chapter 6. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spiritual gentleness, each one looking to himself so that you will not be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows... This he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit reaps eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Now, if you're here for the first day, you're like, I'm never coming back to this place. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I'm done. We only, do, we only do that when we start a new thing, and so it's not going to happen again for a long while. So I hope you come back. But there might be some things in there that kind of piqued your interest, you know, this grace and law thing, the difference between those. Then you heard that whole thing about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you're wondering what that is or what it entails. You heard that whole thing about there's no uh, Jew or Gentile, there's no male or female, and you're thinking, man, does that mean that God just lets us be whatever we want to be? No. Wait until we get to that part, and, and we will understand what all of those things are. I hope you stick with us through the summertime in this, but I hope one thing sticks out to you in this, and that is Satan will do anything to distract us from Christ. Satan will do anything to distract us from Christ. Anything that is not the gospel, anything that has even just a little bit of me in it is all of a sudden bad coffee. Notice in, notice in all of this that Jesus was never removed. The gospel was never removed, just something was added to it. That's what legalism is. Legalism isn't about removing the gospel. Legalism is about adding some extra work to do in the mix. See, Satan knows that you're not going to go after the law. I mean, who wants that? Who wants the work and the labor? Who wants all that to earn your salvation? He knows you're not going to go for that. And so he's not trying to get you to go for that. He's just trying to distract you from the good coffee. And if he, can spike the, if he can spike the punch, if he can mix a little bit of me, a little bit of your work in there, then he has completely taken you away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's work in your life. Completely. It's not just a little bit, it is completely. Now you look at all this and you're like, how in the world can these Ephesians buy into all this? This just sounds completely crazy. Oh no. It's super easy. It happens all the time. It happens, it happens in churches all over the place all of the time. You see, what happens is, is yeah, 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 it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves you, but in order to be a real Christian, you need to come to church a certain number of days a year. In order for you to be a real Christian, you need to get baptized first. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that saves you, but you also need to serve in ministry, and then you become a real Christian. Yeah, it's Jesus, but you also need to give a certain amount of money to the church, and then you're really saved. You see how it's so easy it is to slip into just a little bit of me in addition to Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, Satan's got us. Boom. Now, maybe for you today, you need to take that rescue ring. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been trying to work it. You've been trying to be good. You've been trying to do as good as you can. You keep wondering, am I going to go to heaven? If someone asked you if you're going to go to heaven right now, you'd say, I'm not quite sure. I think so. I hope so. Did you know that John wrote, John wrote in, uh, in one of his letters, he says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know 
that you have eternal life? Did you know that you can know that you have life eternal in heaven? And he tells us how that is. He says, if you have the Son, that's Jesus, you have the life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. Do you have Jesus? That's the question. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe today's the day for you to do that. So I'm gonna ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes today? Just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you. I know uh, many of you have already professed faith in Christ and that's a wonderful thing, but you don't know the heart of the person sitting next to you, so would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just, the, just a position of undistraction for just a minute. In the quietness of this moment, do you, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus have you abandoned the whole idea of trying to be good? I mean, I mean that's impossible. 613, pff, you didn't make it already. And now you need Jesus. And so I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus if you haven't already. Maybe you're not sure what to say or how to do that. You just pray, you talk to God, and maybe you're not even sure what to say to him. Well, in the quietness of your own heart, God knows your heart. He, he sees what's in your, in your mind. He, he knows what you're thinking. And this is what you could say to him, the comfort of your own heart. You could say, dear God, I know that I have sinned. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've thought things I shouldn't have thought. And I know that I need a rescue. I know that I need a rescuer, and I believe that Jesus is that rescuer. I put my faith and trust in this Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, and I believe that he rose from the dead, proving that he is God. I am convinced that he is my Savior put my faith in him. I put my eternity, I put, I put my entire life in his hands. Well, God, I thank you for what you've taught us today, and I pray that you would teach us over the next summer more about the good grace that only comes from you. And I pray that our church is changed because of it. We thank you for a morning like this. In Jesus' name, amen.